0: Hi guys, and welcome once more to the fight Side Boxing podcast with me, Lukash. And uh, yeah, we have a really obvious subject today. We're going to talk about Kell Brook and his emphatic win over Amir Khan. And um, maybe some of the history there. I'll give a bit of context to what happened and why it happened and you know, what we thought was going to happen, and then the fight. Um, and then after that, I'll talk a little bit about Jorge L- Linares and his um, loss to uh, Zawar Abdul Alev, because you know, Linares has uh, been a pretty... Constant presence in fight fight fan talks over the last decade or so, and uh, this might <clears throat> this might be the end. So it's you know worth talking about. And, but um, you know let's start with a uh, let's start with the main event: Amir Khan vs. This this was you know very very late, um, you know at least five years too late. Really, it was a big old grudge match. And I think that was the thing that made it worthwhile. What happened happening. Um, because you know we've seen over fights before, and this one was more, way more over-marinated than Pacquiao and uh, Mayweather, for example. And obviously, in most ways, it's more of a fight. But there was a real and genuine dislike. Like Pacquiao and Mayweather, there was no real personality clash. They they were rivals of sport, and you know Mayweather being an obnoxious dude by, just by for promotion for promotional purposes. Apart from anything else, he you know he was a little bit. Are, you know, cocky towards Pacquiao, but there's no real tension there. Whereas Brook and Khan, you know, there's, there's nowhere near that level. as a fight of any significance or skill or any of that. But they really, really don't like each other, especially on Brook's end. And that comes from, you know, it, it started off with a <clears throat> with way back when when Amir Khan uh, won uh, silver at the Olympics in athens in 2004 which you know khan has been going for a very very long time and it's uh that's worth praising too and i'll talk about that some more at the end um but uh yeah he won he won the silver in the olympics in 2004 and what kind of you know it kind of sort of of resurfaced in the build up to this fight is um that the person he beat the spot to go to the olympics was um was kelbrook and you know nowadays the british boxing scene is very strong um amateur wise the, you know they send a lot but I think I, to, I could be right in saying that I Khan was the only male boxer or the only boxer to go to the Olympics like there, it was not a big uh, there was not a big support for boxing at the time so that was a big deal that Khan went um, and Brooke didn't and you know so after that there was a little bit of argy-bargy there and then there was these legendary sparring sessions uh, that they both claimed to have a you know taking Khan claimed to have beaten his ass and which way and what have you which Khan admitted recently that uh, well after the fight Khan apparently admitted in the post fight presser that uh, he actually doesn't remember the sparring sessions at all he doesn't remember sparring Brook he was just using that as a bit of a leverage to get Brook going and that is really the story of their rivalry is um, really Khan baiting Brook and I think it's fair to say I think most people would agree that uh it seems clear down the years that uh, in their primes, Brook wanted the fight and Amir Khan didn't. And it's you know, you'd have to play amateur psych- psychologist to really get into why. Like to me, it seemed like Amir Khan. He it was a strange one because Khan clearly doesn't have a problem with losing, and he lost early on in his pro career. He d- he didn't have this hang up against uh, about uh, about his unbeaten record that a lot of pro fighters do. So it wasn't that he was scared of losing. But I think he might have been scared, not scared, but the idea of losing to Brook in particular, I think made him, I wouldn't call him scared, but there was just something about that that like he just, he so didn't want to risk losing during his prime. He so didn't want to risk proving that he wasn't the best British boxer at the time, maybe. Like, I don't know, if that's what it was. And Brook obviously had the own chip of his shoulder about these sparring sessions that uh, it turns out Khan can't, can't remember and he had this chip on his shoulder about the Olympics and he but he really like, he was pushing for the fight. And, yeah, I think you could probably argue that Brooke was mismanaged and uh, and mispromoted and Eddie Hearn could've possibly made that fight happen earlier with the right promotional pushes to put to put brooke into the financial position because that was the other thing was that khan kept going off on chasing mayweather uh, chasing pacquiao he never got either fight but that's you know he kept going off after other fighters he went after canelo which was a uh, an idiotic thing to do and then uh brooke doubled down and uh decided to go after Golovkin instead which can only be seen as a response like it was six months later yeah and it came kind of out of nowhere like Golovkin was negotiating for another fight um brooke was negotiating for was it with Jesse Vargas? And Golovkin was negotiating for Chris Eubank and those parts fell through and Chris Herne was like, let's make this one. And Brooke went, yes, which was just, a, uh, it was a silly thing to do. Jumping up to it, it's ballsy as fuck. Um, but he shouldn't have done it any case, they had all this big argy-pargy. This fight should have happened before they fought Kinella, and uh, Golovkin is uh, is the relevance here. Then, you know, since then, they've had it on and off, and they've never really been in the same position. Brook moved up in weight. Um, He had his broken face. He had nearly had his leg cut off. Um, You know, that's another thing we could talk about, is uh, why has Brook been stabbed in the leg twice in his life? Once very seriously. Um... It's not particularly relevant to this fight Except for that uh, It put another spanner in there and works It put Brooke out for some time But, uh, you know, it's a uh, They both have very, very odd careers They're both Let's be honest here They're both quite weird people And you saw that in the build-up to this fight Where, you know Even there, there was uh, a <clears throat> the, the bad blood continued And there was, you know there's all sorts of uh, things that Getting thrown back and forth I'm not going to get into them But there was some really personal attacks uh, um, You know, the drinking sweat thing And, uh Dom Ingle's response um, that sort of stopped Khan on his track. You can look up at that presser, one of the pre-fight presses. You'll find you'll find it on a Twitter, YouTube, whatever. If you search um, Ingle Khan Kleenex, whatever. Um, anyway, but then we got to the fight. And the thing about this fight is, um, a lot of boxing fans, most of the sort of boxing heads that I know, all consider, all thought that Brook would almost certainly have won sort of nine times out of ten if they fought in their primes and that isn't necessarily because we all thought that Brook is a much better fighter than Lander Khan. I think sort of... I come down on Brook was a bit better um, not hugely others may come down the other way and I think that's perfectly fair I think if anyone says that one or the other is massively better one way or the other they're probably wrong Brook Brooke certainly makes less mistakes um, um but the main thing really is uh Khan could compensate for a lot of his uh errors with just his superb hand speed and uh and his combination punching, but Brook's combination of timing and just enough power would have ended his would have ended him very quickly. That was always a prediction, um from me and from a lot of other people I know. Uh <clears throat> And I think that that was always going to be the story. Khan's speed against Brooke's natural timing, which is sort of a difficult concept to pin down. And uh sometimes, you know, if you're ever talking about boxing technicalities and you talk about natural timing, what does that mean? I think Brooke is as pure an f- example as you can find of it because all the other fighters you talk about with great timing, they also have really loads of other things to go on top they all have you know loads of depth of skill like Floyd your Floyd Mayweather or your you know anyone Manny Pacquiao or Terence Crawford nowadays Can- Canelo like Canelo is a I mean his timing is obviously good it isn't the thing you pick out as the best thing in this game but he obviously has it uh, to a really high level they're all really deep fighters and Brook really got way to where he did just on almost entirely on his timing and a clean one too he had very little depth to his game, which I think like, the more I think about it, the more I think he was let down by Dom Ingle on technical level. It's hard to you know really tear into them because I don't know they're, they're, they're also clearly very close despite having a, a bit of a tiff during corona time they're all clearly very close and it's hard to say if Brooke would have had the necessary motivation without Ingle so I don't want to tear into that too much and he did you know his fundamentals are fine uh, they good actually for the most part. His foot looks fine His uh, jab is good His head movement's okay He You know But uh, but uh, but he has very little Actual tactical adjustment Because he always just relies on Adjusting his timing And I think there are Pretty much no fighters Like if you would fought Floyd Mayweather You could have You know You could have seen Mayweather Completely defusing his timing But even then I would have found You know if Mayweather would have won Don't get me wrong It would have cleaned his clock But um I think even Mayweather would have maybe had had to have a think about how to approach him. Terence Crawford certainly did. More than you see, you know, he knocked him out once he figured it out he knocked him out very quickly, and that was one of the concerns going into this fight because Brooke normally has a pretty decent beard, and he didn't against Crawford. But even even Crawford admitted uh, after their fight that he was finding difficulty adjusting to Brook's distance and timing, and that, that's just always been the sort of. Uh, centerpiece of his game, that he knows how to see and find the weaknesses, the timing in, in the timing of his opponent's defence and Khan's problem as always being that he's so realising the speed that he doesn't give a shit about footwork or defending his chin when he's leaping in. So that was the prediction, and that is more or less what we saw happen on the fight. So, so as we were going in, um, anyone who read our preview, and I got some guests on, my, my brother Mattel and Taylor um, jumped in to help me with the previews, and we all sort of more or less agreed that this was going to be a case of who was more shot and that may have been the case and it may not have been because now it's hard to say because Brook uh, Brook clearly won but he won in the way that you know I thought he was going to anyway even if they'd have fought when they were both not shot so I know I know Kahn's shot because I've seen him you know if he wasn't shot he would have thrown more punches like he was struggling to get punches off and you know in their primes I think that would have left him more open rubber glass I don't think it would have made a huge difference to the ultimate result but it's hard to know exactly where Brook is because of how obviously Khan man, you know how obviously the matchup was bad for Khan and this is the I think this is one of the main stories of the fight you know Khan still threw a lot of punches he still threw I think he threw more than Brook um, but yeah he still, was still throwing a lot and Brooke was making him miss a lot and I think that was one thing that wouldn't necessarily have happened in if they were equally or in, if they were in the primes because uh Brook's head move is okay, but it's not super deep. And with Khan throwing multiple punch combinations, I think he would have got there with at least some of them as Brook sort of moved back in. Um, but you also saw the problem with Khan's combinations, and this is a problem he's had throughout his career. Um, and something that Brook did utilize and plan for is that once Khan starts throwing a combination, it's He doesn't adjust it once he's throwing it. They're rope flurries, basically. They look classy, and if he dings you with the first shot, it's difficult to to adjust. But they're rope combinations and he won't adjust to what his opponent's doing in front of him really very often. You know. And that was something that Brooke uh took advantage of because if he got away from the first shot, then uh Khan wasn't really following him afterwards with those shots. So that was a thing, you know, that was a thing that Khan has always done throughout his career, and he did it here too. He just did it less often which became a problem. The other thing that Khan always did throughout his career, which exacerbated his, you know, there's a debate how bad is Khan's chin really, and I think it's very bad, but I can see the argument um, that Taylor I think, I'm not sure where he stands after this fight but uh, Taylor's always sort of said that uh, his chin isn't actually that bad he just runs into shots and exacerbates an okay chin with running into them. I can see the argument because he does do that i don't think it's the only reason he gets on he's gotten knocked down and out so often um yeah his footwork in this was bad and it was bad in ways i wasn't even expecting because um and this might be a failure of me as a sort of analyzing khan's older fights because i was expecting the leaping in and the jumping and uh all of that unprotected approaches and i got that but i just hadn't remembered or seen how often khan squares his feet for no reason anyone who follows me on Twitter has seen me writing about this already or maybe not if it got buried. but anyway the point is he just squares his feet for just stupid reasons all the time sometimes he'll be out range and it was as if he needs to move something. He knows he has to move something. And the only idea he has is to bring his back foot square with his front foot. Like, no pivot, no, no uh, lateral movement, no nothing. Um, just bring his front foot forward. And I don't know if that's supposed to be a prelude to stepping in further or, I don't know. But, um, but he gets himself square and he's very catchable when he does that. And then obviously the other problem is when they're in close and brooks lateral movement is not fantastic it's okay it's fine this is a thing i talk about you know beyond his natural time and the accuracy of his one too. brooks fundamentals are okay they're good but they're they're shallow and it's just, that goes for his movement you know, he's not he's not lomachenko in there he's not even i don't know i mean i was going to say uh, jesse rodriguez but uh he's damn cool so you know but he's not a guy who's let's say uh my boy Shaka Murakimov you know he's a, he's a worst I'd say he's probably not a better boxer than Brook overall at this point but his movement you know lovely Brooke doesn't do any of that he's he you know he'll move one way he'll step away It's fine but a boxer should you know a world level boxer should be able to adjust to a very basic angle take in the pocket and can't every time Brook moved around in the pocket and it wasn't you know really fast or really sharp it was just Basic stuff. And Carter squared up every time. He squared up because all he did was adjust his body to follow Brooke, but not his feet. And every time, and he'd end up square, and it was like, what are you doing? And so, obviously, that exacerbated the chin problems. And when your chin is that bad, that glass, and your opponent is as sharp with the accuracy as Brooke, and I think it's fair to say that Brooke may have lost some accuracy. This is what I mean when it's hard to say exactly where he stands he may have lost some sharpness of the timing but he still had the timing and yeah basically everything brooke landed was hurting khan but like the, the second round khan may have had an argument to win but other than that it was just oh, Brook didn't have to land that often to to throw some serious pain on khan and that was the story of the fight ultimately um yeah it's uh it was pretty much it's a weird one to talk about because when a fight unravels exactly as you always thought it was going to so there's not that many deep facilities to talk about here it was a it was a case of khan not having the defenses to to need to do to do what needed to be done and it's it's frustrating because like as a fighter i like khan as a sort of personality in boxing it's you know bit of here bit of there because i admire his guts in fighting going for, to fight absolutely damn everybody brooke had that to a certain extent but he didn't he didn't push it to the extreme that can't can't. resume is you know he didn't get mayweather or or pacquiao in the end but it's he's round with everyone else he could have pretty much fought in the era they did you know apart from brooke in in his prime which you know is why part of, was why it's part of why it's so weird that he never wanted to fight brooke but a guy fighting those kind of levels of fights should be better. <laughs> That's all I can say, really. Like, both of them coasted. This is the thing, really. Both of them coasted. But I think the difference, maybe, is that Brook, I think, was failed by his coach. Because he's clearly, you know, he listens. He's very much got an Ingle Gym style. It's not complete. And I think, um, I remember, I think it was kind of rubbish. Right? I wrote an article way back when I, you know, Possibly back in the back of the twig days, um, about how. what Did he do it on the early days of heavy hands? I don't know. You'd have to ask him. Tweet him and ask if you're really interested. Anyway, he made a point that uh, the Ingle Gym, the modern day Ingle Gym, is a f- sort of almost a facsimile of the old day Ingle Gym. And it has the same principles, but it doesn't apply them properly. And you can see that with Brooke. Like he understands the idea of balance and moving back and forth, and <laughs> but he isn't fully coached into it. But he is coached, like he knows what he's doing, he's fully his techniques are right, his uh, with his punching form and all of that. He's very smooth. He just doesn't have the depth. Whereas Khan has been with the coach of Andre Ward, and he's been with the coach of um, Terence Crawford most recently, and he's been with the other, you know, great coaches throughout his career, and he's just been fundamentally the same fighter, making the same mistakes over and over and over again and it's so damn infuriating and it must be so infuriating for his coaches and I, I do wonder what if that's why if anyone saw the American broadcast so I watched it live with the British one but I saw it back with the American one and Andre Ward just could not help he didn't say it out loud at any point but he just could not help but make it clear that he dislikes Amir Khan and I don't know, maybe that was to do with the way he left the gym which just makes me wonder with you know his ego in the gym maybe, I don't know but um but maybe he just saw Khan just refusing to learn from his coach, from Virgil Hunter, just time after time. Just Khan has throughout his career, since he was an amateur, been fundamentally doesn't seem to be coachable. And that was his, you know, part, past anything else, past his chin, past his, you know, any other aspect of his personality. And I don't even know if it was deliberate, if he really thought he didn't, should know better, or if it was just a situation where he got into the ring and he forgot everything he learned immediately. But it it has cost him and it cost him here like he just came out the same old amir khan and that like did make adjustments and you can say that like this is a thing this is what i mean is a uh, brook fought slightly different here than he has in other fights and he fought slightly different for example against golovkin than he did in other fights um he was a little bit more back foot against golovkin and he was a little bit more back foot here but it's a little bit differently because uh with Golovkin, it was sort of step off hit, step off hit. Whereas here, it was uh, when he stepped off, he was immediately moving his head to get out of the way of those extended flurries. Whereas with Golovkin, he was sort of taking advantage of his speed advantage, which he didn't have here. With, with Golovkin, he was trying to sort of um, step back punch, step back punch, step back punch, interrupt, interrupt. Which Golovkin had to break by getting crude Like people were frustrated on the night with Golovkin. As oh, he uh, he got frustrated and angry and stuff. So, I no, that was a tactical decision. I think. He couldn't beat Brook's timing, so he just kind of overwhelmed it instead. Khan can't, can't do that. Um, but yeah, but Brook, uh, yeah, he just didn't decided not to compete with the speed. If the speed came into play, he just got out of the way. And uh, and yeah, and he beat basically, when he beat Khan to a punch, Khan wobbled, and that was that was where the, why the fight ultimately went where the, the way it went. There's something you do have to give credit to Khan for one staying on his feet, and he got a lot of criticism against. Uh, against Terence Crawford for quitting, but um, this kind of proves what we've learned through all of his other fights, that he does have tons of heart. That like No matter what his chin is like and what his ego is like and what any of his other issues, he does have tons of heart, and he proved it here. That no, he wouldn't go down. He just would not. And, you know, Andre Ward was right, that he should have been holding some of the time rather than just trying to throw back, because he's not Joe Calzaghi. And I think, ultimately, Khan's career can be summarised as... At least his style, maybe not his career, but his style can be summarized as he wanted to fight like Joe Kazagi and he just did not have the tools for it. And um, that does, is his chin, his stamina maybe he does, but he didn't have the chin, he didn't have the recovery, he didn't have the footwork. All he was really doing was throwing fast hand combinations and uh, trying to be like Calzaghe with that. Because Calzaghe could ride taking those risks because he had uh, the awesome chin and all of that. Um, and he knew how to approach safely, even if he sometimes didn't bother. So that was that. So yeah, so can. So so yeah, so Brooke won. Brooke got the vindication, and he was very happy after it. And th- th- this, I was very pleasantly surprised to see them being a gentleman about it, both of them. And I think Brooke still carries that bitterness. I think this was a, another uh, example of of why it was. It seems like it was calm, more playing the games, and Brooke who really wanted genuinely wanted the fight. They were both gentlemen afterwards But Brooke, in his post-fight interviews He did make it clear He is still He's never going to be Khan's friend Like Khan said he, uh, Khan invited him for coffee Brook said Khan invited him for coffee And says I, I don't know if that's going to happen you know, you, know, you know I can fair understand The guy's been winding him up for years There's no obligation to be his friend But they were both big enough to say You know We've done it now It's over Brook proved that he's a better man on the night. Like kind, I don't think kind will ever admit that that proves Brook was the best man overall as a boxer. But he did say, you know, I did the best I could. He made no excuses. He said, you know, he did say, you know, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm not the fighter I was. But that that was obvious. That's not an excuse. That's just the way the world is. That it's clearly the case. You know, you can't let that. But he, you know, he made no attempt to brush it off as a fluke or anything, and he didn't throw a hissy fit he didn't cry you know he was clearly down but he was in good spirits as he left in the post-fight interviews it was you know it was good to see i enjoyed that and like, like i said, sometimes you see that happening and you think oh the beef was never real i don't think that was true at least in brookside so that you know it was just it was a good good moment now anyway, what does it mean for the future of both of them let's talk about amir khan first and let's talk about oh, i just hope he retires because the thing is. Sort of, I've never really liked Emmett Khan. I think I've been, that's been reasonably clear as I've been talking for this, rambling for these last 20 minutes. But as a fighter, I have appreciated him, and I think it's worth noting, I sort of alluded to this at the start, Is remarkable how long he's lasted, being the fighter that he is. The high volume, often knocked out, attrition, not even attritional, because he just gets blasted. Um, fighting since he's been, you know, he was, He won the Olympics as a teenager and he's been fighting since... He's basically been pro since then. But he had a very long career. Like, Brook sort of came through later. Like, obviously, he was in the same stage of the amateurs, but then he sort of came through later. Khan's been at the top level for a very long time. And he just doesn't need to do it anymore and he did sort of say after the fight I have to think about it i have to talk to my family i hope he does call it a day he's got a rematch clause he shouldn't take it the second fight's not going to be any different than the first i think you know i think he should finish i think he should finish brooke i would like it if he finished i think brooke has more you know he can win relevant fights i don't know quite who he would fight the problem is that the two most uh obvious fights for him to take in terms of uh the level of um, exposure the level of money are Connor Ben and Chris Eubank Jr and um, they're both Connor Ben is too small and Chris Eubank is now a middleweight is too big and he, you know Eubank Eubank called him out and then said no I'm only meeting you at middleweight which is an idiotic you know I just have no time for Chris Eubank's stu- stupid little games you know just you can be an entertaining boxer be an entertaining boxer do that don't play with these silly buggers and um, you know, Conor Ben is a—he's not a. I don't—I don't know that he has any um, incentive to come back, come up and meet Brook at a catchweight or at one five four. Is it worth Brook fighting? Just fighting at one five four? Maybe worth a try. You know, it's a, it's an odd division. I wouldn't pick him to beat Charlo or Costano but then I don't rate Charlo very highly, so you know I'm not as outraged by the idea that Brook might win that fight as uh, some of my colleagues and friends are. But that is because I'm still not that convinced by Charlo. Rather than me thinking Brooks really still got it, got it. And this is the thing: one five four is a weird division because, me like this is something me and Taylor have talked about often in the past. With the guys coming up, it's potentially round, but the guys at the top, not so much. Like, and so yeah, I don't know. Is he is he big enough? Is there fights that are going to get him enough money to make it worth the risk of him fighting a? higher weight again like i saw someone mentioning liam smith and i'd enjoy that fight like that is a fight that i would like to see and i think it would be quite a good retirement fight for for, i mean i don't think liam smith wants to retire at this point but um you know it'd be a good bow out fight for brooke it'd be a fight that he's probably capable of winning if he's got anything left and it is hard to say like i say from this fight um you know that might be a fight that's worth him taking just for a test you know if not there are other English level fights he can take, but none of them really have that cachet. So he has to consider whether any fight he can take is worth the you know trade-off between cachet and risk. I wouldn't be uh, you know devastated to see him retire too. Um, it would be his career has been a bit more disappointing because he hasn't had the opportunities that he really should have. That's probably some of it on him and his manager on to be He's also you know. I think he would have failed at some of the opportunities he would have taken because, um, you know, as I discussed, I think his his coaching didn't match his talent, you know. But uh, yeah, it's not. There's not a lot left to go. Like in terms of divisional relevance, there's not a lot left to discuss here because uh, Brook is sort of near the end of his tether. Khan is uh Khan should just Khan should be done. But but I'm glad we saw the fight I'm, I'm glad you know it was worthwhile it was fun it was one-sided but it was fun and uh, yeah it was a good one it was enjoyable I was never going to win fight of the year but um, but it was, it was, worth, happen- it was worth, worth it that it happened you know it didn't yeah I think that's all I've really got to say about that um, yeah, so I'll let me move on to another glass sword. I made the jump and twist so I'm not going to beat about the bush whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, Linares um, is not dissimilar to Khan in many ways. He's a fast hands, glass jaw, jumps in and out. In many ways, he's more talented than Khan because, firstly, and I think this is the main big difference that Khan doesn't do that Linares does. Is the, is the combinations. As I said, uh, Khan is a r- r- rope puncher. Basically, once he starts throws a first punch, the combination flows from there. He doesn't adjust it much. Whereas uh, Linares, his combinations are almost as fast, but they're picked. Each punch follows on from the next one, depending on what his opponent did, where he's standing, all of that stuff. So in that sense, Linares is a the more gifted fighter, and he was also at least was and is at least temporarily more coachable in the sense that at his best, Linares was capable of movement of of a lateral movement, especially a little bit of head movement, but especially the footwork was sometimes more controlled, more capable of lateral movement and turns and tactical sort of adjustments in carnival was I can't never had any of that but Linares at his worst like can sometimes got cracked and knocked out by you know a Brodus Prescott but uh but in general he was always pretty clearly above sort of the British level of fighter whereas Linares is, is I said this in my preview he's possibly the most wildly inconsistent fighter of the generation it was uh, you know if you ever saw a fight with Kevin Mitchell and that one's worth looking up It's not, you know, super high level and that was kind of the problem. Kevin Mitchell's fine. Kevin Mitchell's a good... He's a warrior. He's a good boxer. But he's British level through and through, sort of thing. And someone like Linares, who later on in his career went... uh, You know, he lost to Lomachenko fairly decisively and got knocked out. But he gave him a really tough fight. One of the toughest fights of his career at the time. Um, The guy who put in that performance against Lomachenko and the guy putting in that performance in against kevin mitchell and in other fights as well but like even against anthony crawley he won both times at the first one it, i don't think it was a you know i'm not sure the rematch was really necessary but the first one was a sort of a tight affair and the second one was a schooling it was just um it's just bizarre how widely the narrative could, could vary so he's fighting sara abdalev who's a as a russian fighter he's you know I said it in my preview, he's okay, he's fine. He's got this high guard that Lenares at his best uh could definitely exploit because Lenares loves to rip the shots of the body. But it wasn't clear if Lenares could damage him enough by doing that to cover for his own weaknesses, and that's pretty much what ended up happening is um is Lenares was I uh, I didn't score the fight completely live. I saw some people had it very wide towards Lenares, I don't think it was quite that wide because I think Abdul Alive was coming back into it sort of later but um but Linares, I think was the consensus was that Linares was ahead going into the sort of later rounds and then uh yeah and then ultimately he just got dropped and uh rocked and finished <clears throat> and that was just that's just what Linares does basically I was like, yeah, you could make the argument that uh, abdul it's probably fair to say that abdul needed the uh, the knockout. And yeah, he dropped Lenaras. Lenaras just couldn't, you know, he couldn't help himself. He got into a silly exchange and caught caught with a flush lift. Uh, he sort of stepped, you know, they weren't quite lined up face to uh, face. Uh, Abdu'l-Alib was sort of off to the side and not before, so he kind of talked right through Lenaras and it sat him down on his arse. He got up. He wasn't fully recovered. He got knocked down very quickly in an awkward little. It caught him clean, but he didn't seem the hardest shot, and it knocked him down, sort of, you know, one of those going down the stages things, and that maybe should have, the fight should have been stopped then. He, the riff let him get up, but he didn't respond when, when Abdul-Alef jumped on him after that, so that fight got rightfully waved off. Like, he wasn't done, done, but um, I don't think it was worth continuing. And, yeah, it was, you know, abdul moves on. He'll fight for, I mean, whatever is uh, um, on the table. He's... um. He's mandatory with Evan Haney, which is an odd one because, you know, Haney beat both of these guys and wiped up by Laval. I don't know if he's a better fighter now than he was then, so I don't know if it's really worth that fight happening, but that's what he's a mandatory for. You know, we'll see if that happens. I um Linares, he has two fights remaining on what I understand from the commentary on the fight that was happening. Um, he has two fights remaining with a promoter that put on this, this um, card, the Russian promoter, I don't know if it's worth him taking them up like he's in a similar position to Khan like there's just no real he's been sort of dropped and stopped so many times now and there's no he's not going to get back to world level and does he really want to be sort of plugging away you know n- with not another chance to get to the top like maybe if he gets good paydays against some random local Russians to get them a boost I don't know but uh yeah, well, Linares is an odd one, I have mixed feelings on him because I like, you know, stylistically I enjoy him very much I find him frustrating style-wise in much the same way as I do Khan Personality-wise, no, Linares has always been a sort of, at least in the British press, he's been over in England a lot He's always been a sort of humble classy individual, which perhaps helped his aura Because um, he did get this sort of reputation as a sort of really good fighter but if you look at his actual record or his resume it, he never i think luke campbell is probably the best fighter he beat i'm not i'm not sure on that but um but yeah his record is full of just fight decision and fighting really and he's lost to fight decision or lost to much like khan but he hasn't packed that up with the depth of resume of opponent that khan fought that either you know Kind of was expected to lose to when he did but he gave him a good fight with linares it's really just the number 10 on that on that scale no, i mean Devin haney too but but yeah there's an awful long portion of um, linares career where he just wasn't really fighting anyone or he was fighting local level british guys when he's supposed to have been a world level fighter it was an odd one it's an odd career that he had a little bit joe kazagi in that way i suppose but you know with a lot less skill than joe kazagi and um you know he uh he never won his uh, final activation, but I don't think he's got an awful lot left to give. And um, you know, I'd quite like to see him retire before it's too late. You know. So there's that. And um, yeah, there's not too much more to say about him, um, at least not right now. The other thing I kind of should mention is Hey um, Maguire. i apologise if I butchered that Mexican pronunciation um but yeah he fought um Demetrius Ballard um you know we were all very worried about him because he claims he didn't faint but he, you know he lay down on the floor after his way and he did you know waving and tower of t- the towel and all of that he did not look good but then he came into the ring and just basically destroyed Ballard he sort of uh, destroyed my preconceptions that Ballard might make him sort of fall short and uh make him have to catch up and pick at him. He just kind of walked through him basically, so that was that. You know, I'm still not convinced by him as a sort of world, world level fighter, sort of elite, but um he did what he had to do. Let's let's see him in with someone really good now. He's at uh I mean his this is a tricky thing, like where does he fight? If you can make middleweight, there's some decent fights there for him, you know, I don't think he's fantastic but that middleweight is another division which isn't great so uh, there's t- the title to uh, you know there's there's things there for him I wouldn't mind him against Chris Hubank, to be honest because that would be kind of silly but fun um, but if he has to move up to uh, you know if he has to move up to uh, like, like to super middleweight I don't know that he's a uh, Got the chops. I just don't know that he's got the defence. Like at some point, he basically he still wins fights by being by digging. Like, he does have his skills. I talked about in the podcast. He does have his combinations getting better. His footwork's getting a bit more considered. He has some pretence of a defence, but he's still incredibly hitful, and if does basically win by bullying through his opponents. And you know, even at the top look competition at 160, I'm not sure that that will last. And if he has to move up another division, you know, is he is it really going to work for him? I don't see it so where his career goes will be an interesting one I think other people rate him higher than I do so don't hang your hat just on me other people will tell you that he's still developing and that's true he is um, that he's still got places to go um. he'll be worth watching like don't get you know he's fun at the least he'll be fun because he is a kind of comfort aggressive his combinations are pretty smooth he'll be fun he'll be fun I just don't think he's that that pound for pound elite level talent um the main thing on that fire, the main point of interest on that card was um, was William Zepeda. And that's a point of interest mostly because of how disappointing his performance was. Because Zepeda's a good prospect. remember? Uh, yeah, he's in his previous contests he's looked tight and, uh, you know, pretty classy, aggressive, very high-volume fighter. And he's, you know, we've wanted bigger chests for him, but he's looked good in what we've seen from him so far. And this fight was a uh, it didn't turn out to be any kind of test because there was another very late replacement opponent. You know how it goes. Um, he fought this fella. Um, let me have a look for his name. Uh, Luis Angel Piedas. He's a sort of twenty nine eleven one guy. Not quite the the famous British journeyman numbers, but particularly not a not a serial sort of. You know, he's not gonna not a real test for someone who's aiming for world level. And then, yeah, it turned out that's a paid, uh, just, he didn't look good. It, and it was a really, it was a really strange fight. And I mean, the first thing you, you have to know about going to this fight is that in the fight previously, one of the corners had lashed out in an unbelievable amount of water into one of the corners. And uh um Viedas, pretty much immediately upon starting the fight, because I think it was in the corner that he was in, he walked out and fell over just straight away. And he clearly, pretty clearly jarred, isn't he? It wasn't a serious, serious injury, but he was compromised from then on. And there's a few times that he was either... Visibly compromised, or he just went to the same corner and slipped over again. And Zepeda couldn't take advantage of that. He got started getting petulant. He knocked him down once and um, hit him while he was late. That uh, you know, fight got, they got up, the fight carried on. And Zepeda got caught with a very odd sort of a, it wasn't a real hard knockdown, but there was a punch there. It was a sort of punch push combination. And then he got up, and I don't know whether he was being petulant or whether he wanted more time to recover but he pretty much came out and just elbowed uh J-Dass in the face it wasn't a full-on hot eye strike it was a sort of elbow sash push type thing pushing to the ground is basically what i'm trying to say here he got dropped the doctor point immediately which some people said was too early i can understand it because if he really had been hurt like I, I don't think he was that hurt but if he really had been hurt it looked like he was doing it to gain extra time so the, the extra point was a uh, Worth the him, and then he got very, very lucky indeed because he knocked a uh, Fiatus down again and then he hit him with a massive body shot after he was on the ground. and He really should have been disqualified for that. Like, he was going to win the fight all day long, but um, he's so lucky to be going home with the victory And he's like, I don't know, why do fighters do that shit? Just don't do that bullshit. So, yeah, basically he needs a better format next time out because he's good he's 25 he needs to be sort of moving up towards world level if that's where it's going to go if he can get himself together and be better than that he'll be a fun fighter worth watching because he is very like i say he's very high volume um which is always entertaining and he's a good prospect to watch and it was just disappointing so you know on that slightly disappointing and um, note to end the week you know we had a we had one really good fight that was worth talking about. Um Khan versus Brooke. Let's let's end on that note. Um let's end on wishing Amir Khan let's hope he retires and has a happy retirement. So I'll just don't want to i just don't know end end on bitching about prospect. Um next week is pretty full. I think the may the sort of the most talked about event at the moment is Josh Taylor versus uh, Jack Catterall That's gonna be very one sided. Catterall is not on uh, Taylor's level, even though he's unbeaten himself. Um then you have Lawrence Akoli fighting uh, Michael like. and that would be good that would be an interesting one uh, I think Akoli is sort of low-key making a case to he's, he hasn't started to make the case of being the best British boxer but I think that's what he's aiming for and if you would told me that a year and a half ago I would have laughed you out of the building but now I don't think it's impossible I'm not saying it's inevitable but um, he needs a good performance here but he started to look slicker he started to use his length properly not just you know to tangle and hold but actually to box with it um and i am interested to see what goes to the table then we've got um an american card i say then the okoli fights on sunday so it will be for this it'll be after this fight but um the american card is um headlined by chris colbert versus um versus hector Luis garcia um, i can't comment too much on that one yet because i don't know about garcia so um i have to watch tape on him before i do the preview later in the week but uh, colbert is a He's a fun one to watch he'll be um he's an interesting prospect I think he's a you know he isn't going to be elite elite but he's worth you know he's one of those american outboxer flashy a bit like boot tennis i don't think he's as good as boots but he's that kind of fighter that kind of personality certainly carries a similar style in the room again you know comes in with pink hair and the gladiator shorts and you know all of that stuff and the outboxing and the dancing he's a fun fighter to watch especially if you like that kind of showboating kind of thing um but the main interest on that fight for me is um the undercard of uh, which features um gary antoine russell versus victor Postel and uh Russell, or G, let's call him G-A-R, I don't know, I don't know what to call him. Gary Antoine Russell is, um, he's Gary Russell Jr.'s younger brother, one of them. They're, they're all called Gary Russell Jr., and they're all, you know, they like three, it's a three or four boxer, so anyway. Um, I think he is probably the most promising of them. He's such a different fighter to his brother. You know, Gary Russell is a, uh, the archetypal quick snap. As fast as he can, light like punching box, also only fights once a year. Um, his, little, his little brother, who's fighting this weekend, has previously fought a, a lot coming up, but then Gary Ga- Russell Jr. did that too. I do hope that uh, Gary Anton Russell carries on the schedule as he gets into deeper into more competitive fights, which this one should be, because he's fighting Victor Postel and he's not an easy out for anyone. The thing about Russell is that he is he might be the hardest puncher coming up. He hits really fucking hard. Possibly be a test of just how hard that is, and how much he was just wailing on a uh, wailing on um you know overmatched guys. But I think you know he's got that kind of didn't seem to hit you that hard, but you fall over type of energy. So that is one to look out for because it's a good test for a really solid prospect. So I look out for that one. I will. Do a preview about all of these fights in the in an article, so I'm not going to get too deep into it. You know, I'm not going to get at all of the technicalities, That's what my previews are for. But just so you know, the article is coming. Hope to get out by Friday, but you know, stuff going on. I'm not feeling too well. Busy day at work. Busy things at work. Got to get stuff done. We'll see. But it'll be out before the fights. So you know, look out for that. And uh, other than that, I'll see you next week to talk about those fights in hindsight. And hopefully, I've got lots of uh, lots of stuff to get my teeth into. Um, yeah, see you next time.